This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome to Tell Me This, a podcast about all things belonging, connections, and holding space for what is possible. Over the life of this pod, we have explored research and scholarship and listened to stories about belonging. Education leaders, wellness experts, researchers, clergy, and caregivers have shared their stories of belonging through the pandemic as leaders, parents, and educators. This season, we are journeying into belonging in our relationships. Join me, Dr. Carrie Borkowski, and my co-host, Dr. Brianne Ruse, as we bring our expertise and experience in higher education to explore and learn with our guests about how to design spaces of belonging and how individuals and organizations define and experience belonging. Over the past three seasons, we have interviewed leaders of higher education institutions, including Dr. Mamie Hostetter, the president of Relay University, and Christine Dercole, Peloton instructor. We've also had the pleasure of chatting with other thought leaders, including Dr. Kanita Williams, the COO of the Southern Education Foundation. We invite you to listen in on our journey into the complexities and curiosities of belonging. Galaxies we hear, the colors we endeared. So down I can see you're so sincere. All right, hi everybody. Welcome back to Tell Me This. I'm Brianne Roos here with Carrie Barkowski. For our new listeners, this is a podcast about all things belonging, community, connections, collaboration, and holding space for what is possible. Over the life of this pod, we've explored research and scholarship on or related to belonging. We've shared stories, listened, and engaged with diverse individuals about belonging during the pandemic, as parents, as leaders, as human beings who show up for all the things. This season, we're journeying into belonging in our relationships, friends, spouses, coworkers, neighbors, all levels. And today, we are so excited to welcome back one of my dearest people on this whole entire planet, Kate Yay. McMahon. We're so excited. 
Her full bio is in a prior episode. So if you want to learn more, you can refer back. Uh, but today we've been thinking about and planning this first of two episode, um, I guess, mini series on the book Bittersweet by Susan Cain. So not really like a technical book review, more of just a discussion about our reactions to the book. And this evolved totally organically from our conversation with Kate the last time, which is kind of cool. So totally iterative and wasn't planned. And we're coming here today with some themes and some ideas and also some surprises because we haven't really connected too much. Everybody's done a little bit of individual prep and we're, we're coming on live. So here we go. I'm so excited. Like I, I, know. Really, Thanks I for having me, guys. It's yeah. So Thank you for coming back, Kate. It's so good to see you. And I want to ask you because we're trying out the new intro. What do you think of the new intro? I like the new intro. Okay. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah it's really yeah. nice. And I think it likes, you know, is a nice summary of what you're, what you're doing and cool. And yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah we're trying to, you know, we're always trying to try new things and experiment. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. I was trying to remember the specific conversation we were having that brought us to bittersweet, um, to no surprise. I don't remember. Um, but I just feel like we were exploring the depths of paradox and hard things and discomfort. And I think I was, um, had just finished or we had just gotten it. And I, and she had been on a podcast with, um, Brene Brown. And I think what we were sharing was resonant. Um, and I was like, oh, let's. And of course, when we have amazing guests like Kate on Brianne, I feel like I'm always trying to find reasons to bring people back. And so I was like, let's do a book club. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think part well, of it was, really nice. yeah, yeah, in that conversation with Kate, she was sharing some like really hard things that had happened yeah. in her life. And so it kind yep. of brought us to this place of, it did, of paradox of bitter and sweet. And then it Absolutely. just evolved from there. Yeah. So, so I want to hear, it's not a book review, but like reactions to our book. What did you guys, what did you ladies think? Well, I'm curious about Brienne. What did you think of it? Oh God, look at her tossing that over right away. <laughs> I mean, I want to know what you think. I'll, I'm happy to dive in if you want me to go first. Oh no, it's fine. I, can go first. Okay. I yeah. thought the book was really hard, not hard to read in terms of like, you know, hard to understand, but hard for me to like come to terms with because I agreed with everything that she said. I also don't like it. And I think that both of those things can be true. <laughs> well, there it is. It's like the nuance that that is your it's a perfect uh, entry point here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just found I'm listening to the book. I'm like, yes, you are so right. And this is making me sad just thinking about it. So I, <laughs> I think I'm at a place where I'm not loving the sad. And I think, I, I don't know if that's because there's a lot of the bitter all around with the pandemic and I don't know, just like families getting older and relationships changing and um, things just feel more real as we get older, you know, and kids growing older, I'm like so acutely aware of the passing of time. And so there's a lot of bittersweetness with that. Um, people getting sick. Like as I was reading this book, there was like this flood of people who were like really sick and that's really hard. So I kind of was like, Ooh, if I'm going to read a book, <laughs> I'd rather read a book that makes me feel a little bit better, <laughs> but, um, that doesn't mean that I didn't totally appreciate what she was saying because I do. And I think she's, she's right on. I just didn't, I just didn't like hearing about it because <laughs> it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for me to think about. So yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I, I loved it so much. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that I, I, I said just before we started, I felt so seen in this book. I felt like, I don't know. I feel like I, um, I don't know. I think I, I come at things, uh, seeing both sides of the coin <clears throat> a lot of the time. There was a, a, a part in here where she was at um, a, a group meeting about death and dying. And the person asked, you know, what, what's your sign? What, you know, and she said, I'm a Pisces. And of course I am as well. And in, in it, it said, you know, you're permeable, you take everything on. And sometimes it's hard to discern what's yours and what's not in terms of other people's emotions and totally true. Um, and I do find that I often, when I see people or reconnect with old friends, you know, a lot of times I, I, I want to get right to like, what's real, like, like mm -hmm. staying up here. I, and I, I'm finding that the older I get, like staying here and just like, we're good. No, yeah, get good, get good. Like, it's like that. I'm like, what is wonderful for you right now? What is the hardest thing you're dealing with? What is real? What is true? What is clunky? What are you working through? Like what? And so it's funny, like at parties, people will be like, every time I see you, I'm crying. Like people like <laughs> cab drivers open up to me about like, you know, their child with drug addiction, you know, and I'm like, tell me more. I'm like, just, mm -hmm. I, I love knowing and like engaging with the hard and the beautiful. And I think, yeah. um, you know, the, uh, Kabbalah, Kabbalah, uh, the story about, you know, the, how the world was this, you know, giant, you know, uh, burning ember of light. And then mm -hmm. it kind of like went and fell and exploded. And is now these shards of light are tucked in all of life's stickiest, ickiest bits. And it's like our job to kind of go and find those. I was like, yes, that is literally exactly what I am seeking to do in my life's work and my writing in my connection with human beings. I was like, yes, yes, yes. I'm nostalgic. I'm always looking back. I feel like I'm like, my daughter's riding to her bike to the pool for the first time. And I'm like feeling very like emotional about it. And people are like, oh my God, like what is with you? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what my deal is. I'm not saying it's right, but I feel like so much of this nuance and this dance I'm like super here for. So yeah, I love it. Yeah. You, yeah. I agree. Um, I loved it. I love her. I loved what she had to say when I listened to her on the podcast. I was running and I was like, yes, yes, yeah. I, I got <laughs> it. Yes. You know, um, and I had said to Brianne the other day when we, we did a tiny bit of prep just to give structure, not really sharing, but I said to her, um, I feel like I have a bit of that in me. Like I like the sad songs. I like what sad songs and that melancholy, um, does I I'm able to sort of um, when I'm in, you know, healthy places, I'm able to sit in, in that music and cry and be happy. And so I, I like that. Um, so yeah, I just really, I love the book. I mean, anyone, and we're, we're going to dig into the, the book, you know, more, but anyone who sort of ends the book talking about how important it is to think about, um, you know, what does life mean? Right. Asking those big questions, because I feel like unfortunately so often, we're focused on, well, what job are you going to get? You know, what's your plan that way, but not like what's the meaning of life? Right. Like the real, it feels very um, existential, but actually that's at the core of everything is what's the meaning of life. And I also, she's told that story about the light on the podcast. And I have to say, um, and I'm not saying like I was some really smart little kid, but I remember being in church as a, in a very conservative 
um, upper middle class church and I had so many questions and I frustrated so many people. And I remember saying to somebody, I just feel like we all have a little piece of this truth. And like, we need to figure out how to like talk to each other. Like I had Jewish friends, Catholic friends, you know, people who weren't. And I'm like, we all have a little bit of this. Why are we like fighting over who has the truth? Right. Yes. And so when she said that, I was like, oh, yes, that's the thing. So, um, so all of that's to say, I just, I love this book. Um, I have dog-eared the hell out of it, like trying to remember <laughs> different spots of it. Um, so yeah, I'm, yep, exactly. So, um, so I think we want to sort of just for folks who haven't read it yet, um, maybe just, you know, I think Brianne in our sort of style of podcasting, we always love to sort of set the stage with language, right. And make sure when people hear us say things like paradox and compassion and melancholy and bittersweet, um, you know, what, what that means to us and maybe, um, from the perspective of the author. Um, so, so just a little vocab, I guess, is where we're starting. <laughs> um, and we've talked a lot about paradox, so I don't know that we need to, to say both of you sort of talked talked about it in your, in your reaction, which is just being able to hold two things that seem to not be able to hold. Right. Like, um, so I think that's what we're talking about when we say this idea of paradox, um, Bram, what, what's your sense of, um, the notion of bittersweet? I'm wondering what you sort of took from the book. Like if we were going to give the audience just like a, a snippet of it. Yeah. I mean, I think at its extremes, it's like the poles. It's like the things that are really hard and really hurt your heart um, with the things that bring your heart all that joy and like flood you with the feelings of like really true goodness. And when I think about it, I think of um, like Ignatian Jesuit language of consolation and desolation. So mm. not like, oh, I'm happy today or I'm sad today, but like the real things that bring you like joy in your bones and sadness in your heart, like that kind of yeah. those poles is kind of where I come from with this. Yeah. Kate, anything to add to that notion? Yeah. Um, no, I think that that was beautifully said. I think that it is true. I think it is, it's deeper than emotion. It's more of like a state of being resultant from events that happen in our lives. Mm. Um, bitter, you know, loss, uh, you know, you lose a job, a, a spouse, a parent, a, a friend, a whatever. Um, hard, heavy illness, hurt, you know, and sweet are sort of those ephemeral moments of like just beauty and meadows and light and joy and, you know, but yeah, it's, they're totally poles. They're opposite. Um, but I love this book that she's trying to weave them together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have to say when I heard her say bittersweet, it was just like, that is the perfect word for this thing. Like no matter who you are, even if you haven't read the book, if you haven't had, haven't been able to sort of articulate those feelings, we all understand what bittersweet is, right? Like we've all made maybe chocolate chip cookies or something, right? <laughs> like <laughs> use that, like it just, that just was like, like you couldn't pick a more perfect word. I felt yeah. like when I heard that, I don't know. And you know, what's so funny, you know, when you buy a new car and all the time, all of a sudden you see that car or you're thinking about buying a new car and you see that car everywhere on the road, but you never really noticed it before. Yeah. I have heard the word bittersweet <laughs> so many times in like real conversations yeah. since we started this book with my yeah. students, with colleagues. I mean, it just, it's a word that it really is the perfect word. It's so resonant. 
And yeah. it's like, everybody can connect, <clears throat> you know, I, I just think it it's the perfect word for the, for this book. And, you know, as much as this book was hard for me to read, I really appreciated it because it came up all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I brought it up all the time in, in conversation and in class. Yeah. I just, I, I don't think, and it's interesting, at least from my perspective, I don't feel like it's often in, in at least the English language where there is a word that just brings everybody to a space. Cause like yeah. so often we're like, well, that could mean this. And for you, it could mean that, but like, it just grounds you immediately. So even before you start reading this book, you, you've, you've felt that, you know what it feels like, you know what it takes. So I thought I just, the power of that one word to just take us all in that space seems it's pretty remarkable I think yeah, yeah and it's it's two words I mean it's one word but it's two words yeah, right yeah, so yeah. it's not right, even right, right. one word that well, like, yeah. which right. is kind of neat yeah. to think yeah, about yeah, like, yeah. is true. there yeah. one word that really captures well, that's it true. it's, Good it's point. because it has the two so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it's hard to find a word you know two words brought together to form one that actually combines the two you know like you think about compound words like dog house it's like yeah I get yeah. but like an emotion word that combines both yeah. things. Mm -hmm. Of course, where did I go to define this? I went to Renee's Atlas of the Heart. <laughs> but I because I was like, let me get a definition. But it's like, so she just said that a bittersweet is a mixed feeling of happiness and sadness, which was great. But I loved this quote, the bittersweet side of appreciating life's most most precious moments is the unbearable awareness that those moments are passing. Mm. Like that really does match at the mark yep. quote. But I was like, wow, because it is, it's like, we're so lucky that we are alive and able to experience these real beauty, you know, beautiful things in this realm. Yeah. But it can't stay. Yeah. And it can't, it's, it's nothing is forever. Yeah. And I've had so many moments in my life where I'm like, I just want to stay right here. This is just heaven. And, and then it's like, of course you're catapulted out of it. Yeah. We can get mm -hmm. further. I well, it's, it's, I love that you brought that book up because what it also reminded me of is like, there's a really fine line between bittersweet and what Brene Brown calls foreboding joy, mm. right? Because I feel like both of those words are in the same place and it's your posture or your mindset around that moment, right? And so it's, I, I loved being introduced to bittersweet. Cause I think especially as, as a caregiver or parent or someone who's around young people, it's really easy to go to the foreboding joy and then lose mm. and then lose the sweetness of the moment. So I kind of, as hard as bittersweet is, I find myself, I'd rather be there than in a place of foreboding joy. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's part of, I mean, we have been, we've really talked about why this book like was so hard for me, but maybe that's part of it is because my instinct when I'm in bittersweet is to like go off on that foreboding joy. Like if bittersweet is a, a linear yep. sort of left to right continuum, foreboding joy, I guess is like a, like an offshoot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, which I very easily go to. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's because that's a, yeah, that could be. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. So any other words we feel like need to be, I mean, we can sort of we're pretty good when we mention things to sort of give context. So I, I feel like we, we can maybe move forward. I want to know everybody's. So we took, so there is in the book. And if you go to Susan Cain's website, if you don't have the book, um, the quiz is on her website as well. There's actually a bittersweet quiz. Um, and so it was a brilliant idea from Brianne that we all take the quiz 
we have not shared our results with each other. And so we were going to share our results and just, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do with it. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what happens <laughs> to audience. So we'll see. <laughs> so who's going to offer up their, their numbers first. I got a 6.4. Okay, good. You're see, look at you. You're selling yourself short. I, well, I'm I knew seven, it. I was seven point seven. Oh, I thought seven. you'd be like a hundred. What yeah. were you? Well, I was seven point seven. Okay, so for the I, for the audience, we should right. So yes. like the the interpretation, I pulled it off the um, score. So if you're like between about a zero, well, it's a zero and three point eight, you're cheerfully optimistic. Uh, it says you tend toward the sanguine and 3.9 to 5.7. Um, you experience, uh, you, you move easily between sanguine and bittersweet. So it's, you know, um, sort of the moderation and then 5.8 to 10, you're a connoisseur of the bittersweetness, um, place where there's light and dark. I was a 7.9. So. Yeah, girl. <laughs> wow. Beautiful. So, we have a winner. That's amazing. I, uh, <laughs> I am not surprised at all. Um, I'm not one bit surprised. So um, well, I don't I know. I've taken it a few times and I was higher and I was like, I have to, because I started to be like very proud of my bittersweetness, but then I started to be like, optimistic also. So then I was like, all right, like I don't cry at every commercial. So I like retook <laughs> the test to like see if I could get lower. 7.7 was my mean. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. You're so funny gaming. You're gaming it now. So, so I don't know what, I mean, I'm curious when we hear Kate, your reaction, Brianne, what, like, what was your reaction? Like, what does the number mean for you oh, or not? I'm wondering. Yeah. I wasn't surprised because yeah. I think that I am a bittersweet connoisseur. Mm -hmm. Like I think I very, I, I live in this space, but that yeah. doesn't have to mean that I like it at this present moment. I mean, I, I'm like, su I have this capacity. I know that I do. Yeah. And so I kind of figured that I would be on the scale on that side of the scale. Yeah. Um, but I, I really think Carrie that you just hit the nail on the head with the foreboding joy, because for me, I just keep slipping down that slope mm -hmm. of like, you know, like when I'm with the all the sad things, it's very hard to, cause I feel the sad things so much. Mm -hmm. And then I feel the, um, or, you know, the bitter and the sweet, the sweet things so much and so deeply. Yeah. And I guess I have like this fear of losing that. I don't know, but the foreboding joy I think is, is key, but I, I was not surprised that I was on that side of the continuum. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Kate. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I, that it made sense to me. I, um, I don't know. I feel like I, I'm a very like nostalgic person. Also, I'm always looking back. I'm, mm. I'm, I get lost in my camera reel of years gone by of, you know, trips or little moments, dance parties in the kitchen, like little things that once were that are no longer like, I feel like I like that is like my Monday through Friday and also Saturday and Sunday existence of, I'm, I'm always, um, like looking back, I feel like I enter transitions, like, do I have to, you know, like every, every new step, like I remember yeah. I had friends who were like, okay, like baby needs to start solids four to six months, four months. Let's go. Let's go. And I was always like, uh, you know, and they're like, my baby needs to be walking. I'm like, I'll just carry her a little longer. Like, I feel like I'm always like, uh, like just always <laughs> going like, but that was so, you know, like, I feel like I'm always <laughs> that way. Um, and I, 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 there's something very, um, comforting in that 
weird duality that I think does make a lot of people uncomfortable for a lot of what she describes in American culture and, you know, smiling. I found that to be fat. I'm a big smiler, but like in many parts of the world, it's like obscene and like really like frowned upon, like not to be like whatever, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, it makes sense to me that I would be there. How about for you? Were you, you felt yeah, I mean, I again, I feel like this is part of me. I, I do one thing I do wonder about is I wonder if I had taken this test as a or this quiz as a 20, a college student, because I was in a very different headspace as a college student, um, at which, you know, I mean, we change and grow. Right. Um, and so I, I wonder, like, how this score holds up through the yeah. years, because she does even talk about how our sort of perspectives on these things change. Um, and so I wonder, and, and college, college for me was, um, I always say, um, and it, and, it, and for a long time, it was a chip on my shoulder. Cause I did not, I was not a great undergraduate student. It was a real chip because I, I cherish academics, but I learned so much in college. It just wasn't like in the books, right. Mm-hmm. It was life stuff that I had to work through. And so I, I am particularly curious about what my bittersweet quotient would have been, you know, yeah. in that, um, I suspect I would have been way more on the bitter than sorry. <laughs> That's interesting. I think mine would have been higher in college. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I think yeah. I was like deep in the headspace of like feeling all the feels for the first mm. time in my life. Cause I didn't really allow any of that until I turned or until I left home. Yeah. Um, And then it was like, oh, like the world opened up to all of these new Mm -hmm. like thoughts and feelings and emotions and words and people who were like willing to have such conversations that I had never had. Yeah. And so, you know, Kate and I had plenty of those and lots of retreats and lots of kind of Mm. thinking deep thoughts during college. Yeah, Yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, I think I mean, I think I was feeling all the feels. I just don't think I had the words to sort of talk through what I was feeling. And that's what's, you know, that's why I kind of wonder. Because I think now, I think part of the reason I'm high on bittersweet now is because, um, and I think Kate, like you, I feel like I'm, people think I'm a little weird sometimes. Like I relish the opportunity to roll in the messiness that is life and emotions and all. Like I just like, it's hard. And Brian knows this because I now am really honest. Like sometimes we'll meet and I'm like, you know, just having a, a weird, hard, all these things. Right. And I know what's here. And I think just having that sort of ability to talk about it. Um, I mean, I'm often inviting discomfort into my life because I, I recognize that it's potential for great things to happen. Right. Um, so, but I was in a very different space, um, as a, as a younger person. So, um, it's cool. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would have been like, more sanguine, like the cheerfully optimistic. I feel like in college, I was so like joyful and flitty and like, I, but I, that's, I think that's why I relished so much the Mm. the, like deep, quiet, hidden conversations that Brianna and I would have, because I love to go there, but there was not, I feel like I was just like, you know, like functioning up here, not in an, not from a place of inauthenticity, but just like everything was so new and shiny and like, joyful, you know, like, and I don't, I think it's like, it is after hard things and some of the hard things that happened in college and later in life and whatever, like you start to kind of like weave those in as opposed to like being afraid of them, you know, mm. like, I feel like everything was so great. And I'm like, we're good. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like everything was just like there. Yeah. 
like from an authentic, genuine place. But I think um, like the longer you live and like the more times you fall down and, you know, scratch your knee and get back up, like some of that, you know, like, like that, that hurt and the bleeding, like, you know, it's, it like brings in new growth and new um, uh, awareness and and depth, I think, which is, uh, it's been a welcomed process for me. Absolutely. So I think this would be a great segue and, you know, our wonderful audience who is listening, the idea is that we, we identified a few themes together and we're going to start there. This is going to be, as Brianne said, I think in the beginning, this is going to be a two-parter because there's just so much to unpack. And so I think ladies, maybe we just start with a theme and see where it takes us and we can pick up, um, you know, wherever we aren't able to to cover today. Per- selfishly, I'd love to start with the creativity and sorrow, but I, I'm not wedded to that. I'm open if, if, that's if good. you ladies yeah. would go like no, to go good. in a different, okay, great. So, you know, as you can imagine, um, Susan Cain talks a lot. I feel like she talks a lot. Um, this is my interpretation about creativity and sorrow because she talks so much about the influence and contribution of and impact of music on her life. And even some of the examples that she uses around sort of violin music and funeral music. And she, she talks about how she was listening to funeral music and her, her (laughs) roommate in college was like, what, what is this? Right. So, so it seems apropos to me that she talks often about creativity in different, in different settings. And there's so much in this book that I think we could quote, (laughs) Um, so I offer just to get the conversation started, something that really jumped out at me was this idea that she suggests that there is a myth, um, around this net, that the narrative is a straight and a finite line. And so just to unpack that a little bit for the audience, she talks about how we, we may recognize that there are, and Kay, you've been so vulnerable and honest and Brianne, you've shared, we've shared moments in our lives where we've had highs and lows. And, and too often the myth is you have a high, you have a low, then you go from a low, then you go from a high. And, and she's saying, um, she's not saying the opposite. She's just saying that just doesn't necessarily follow with life, right? Like it might be that you have multiple lows, you might have multiple highs so that it's, so I just, that resonated with me um, because I just love again, that it's just not, you know, there aren't any clean lines to life, really. Um, and I also love because, and Brianne's going to laugh at me, um, I adore the the Indigo Girls. Um, and I, I just, okay. And I saw, I actually just saw them last summer in a like super small venue. I was like, my hand could touch Emily's head, but I did not because that would be weird. Um, <laughs> but that's that's how close I was to them. And in one of their probably their most famous songs, they talk about the crooked lines, right? And so I just again, this goes back to the, Kate, your point about the light, right? Everybody's holding a little bit of peace. So I feel like people in very different spaces talking about the same thing. Um, and so yes, yeah, so I'm gonna I want to hold space for Kate and Brand to share, but that's that just really resonated with me. I just love that idea. Yeah. I I think it's awesome too. I think, um, I love the part where she, you know, she talks about making your pain, your gift, Mm. you know, like that, what, you know, whatever pain you can't get rid of, make it your creative offering. And I just thought that was so awesome and beautiful. And it's so interesting. So I love to write and I, 
you know, just, you know, blog life, whatever. Um, but it's funny. Um, my uncle was really kind and I adore him. And he was like, you know, you really have a gift. And I was like, gosh, and I, I got to a place where I was kind of like, because I'm writing about myself and my life and my ups, my downs, my true authentic, you know, experiences, I kind of was like, like, is this really like self, you know, um, like aggrandizing? Am I like just pouring myself at like, who really even cares anyway? Like, this is so, I don't know. I started to get kind of like a little bit more shielded to mm -hmm. my sharing. Um, and he is a beautiful painter and artist. And he was like, you know, I, I remember struggling without myself. Um, but he said, you know, I view it as a gift from God. And if I take myself out of the equation and just allow that gift to flow through me, like it's mm. not about me or because of me, but I allow that to, you know, flow through me. He's like, I would encourage you to do the same, to not, you know, be the gatekeeper of a gift that's within you to, and, and to share it with the world. And I thought, God, that's so beautiful and so true. You know, we can be so self-limiting sometimes and, you know, with, you know, ego or am I good enough or, you know, all of this, you know, heady stuff. Um, but I thought that that was really neat too, to think about what, um, what hurts you or what, you know, what calls you to action. You know, I remember on like job quizzes, like, you know, the Venn diagram of like what you're good at and what, you know, how you can make money and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, what, what hurts you? Like, what, what do you feel uh, will get you out of bed every morning with joy and gusto to go serve and help? And I feel um, happy that in so many uh, different things that I've done in life, a lot of, if not knowing that, but looking back, reflecting and realizing that a lot of that was born from a hurt, you know? So it's, again, mm -hmm. it's like that, that taking that dark, but making it light that I love. Yeah. yeah. I, there are so many quotes that we could support that with, but one that I liked, she says in your pain, you find your values and in your values, you find your pain. Right. So mm -hmm. you're kind of identifying what those things are that mean the most to you in those times. And then, um, she was telling the story of Sharon Salzberg, who, um, lived a life of like really horrific loss. I mean, sort of unthinkable losses when she was a child. And then in college was taking an Asian philosophy course. And she said, she, this is a quote, she learned that everyone faces the pain of separation, that no one is spared, that the real question is how to respond to that unchanging truth. So she was kind of like, oh, I'm not the only one. She's feeling horribly isolated as a child because everybody else seemed to have, you know, a more solid support system, kind of picture perfect. And then she went to India and learn this practice of um, loving kindness meditation, which then led me down a rabbit hole. Cause I'm like, I have heard a podcast about that very thing. And I couldn't, I'm like looking, looking, <laughs> looking for it, but then came back to the book. So then she came back and Kate, to your point, she said, um, four years later, she was ready to come back to the States and her teacher, so to speak in India said, you understand the suffering and that's why you should teach. Cause she was like, why I can't teach. Like what, what would I have to share? And she's like, no, you have this, like you have this depth of understanding. And so she said that was the first time in her life. She thought that suffering was worth something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just think she, Susan Cain, the author did a really beautiful job of illustrating these ideas that I think are kind of hard to wrap your head around mm -hmm. uh, with examples. And that example just spoke to me. Yeah. There's so many great ones mm -hmm. uh, in the book. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, what I love, what I'm hearing from both of you, which I really appreciate is like, oftentimes we talk about creativity and we immediately like, well, I'm not an artist, right? She's not talking about creativity exclusively in that sense. I mean, both of the examples you just mentioned are, are around vocation and, you know, doing what you love and being able to love what you do kind of thing. Right. Um, I also think, you know, Kate, it made me think there's a great, um, section in the book it's it's way it's at the end um page 227 if anybody's interested but they talk about um the doctor the the um the doctor who was a um cancer doctor bright breibart do you remember this and he was working with um cancer patients not to relieve their pain or cure them but to help them find meaning in their life towards the end Mm. and um, it says but the key to fulfillment says Breitbart is learning to love who you are rather than what you've done and I think you know Kate your uncle telling you that your 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 work is amazing and, and you're sort of coming to some understanding like that's part of that right is like loving who you are enough to share it (laughs) with the world. And, and Brianne, I feel like your example of someone thinking, well, why, why would I teach? Right. Well, you're asking that question partly because you're not, maybe not loving yourself in the way that you should. I think that's a really hard, I really love that quote because I think that for me, that's aspirational. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not there. Um, I would love to be in that space so I can imagine, um, yeah, I can, I can just imagine that that that's part of it. I, I will say, um, not to take up too much space, but I will say that I think the creativity and sorrow for me, um, you know, it's not lost on me that this podcast grew out of, um, and I may tear up because I just do when I talk about my grandmother, um, it grew out of tremendous grief that I felt, um, when my grandmother passed away really suddenly. Um, I mean, she was 96. So, you know, I understood that her life was going to end sometime, but she had a stroke and unfortunately just did not have good, um, outcomes from the stroke and died pretty quickly. Um, and so she had died in November and then in January I started the podcast and it was one of those things that I, you know, I wanted, I really wanted to podcast. I think I probably had said to Brianna, even like, I have this dream that I'd love to podcast. And it was in the sort of reflection of who my grandmother meant to me, how, how much she meant to me, what she did. And I was like, what the hell are you waiting for, Carrie? Just, and I just committed to like, I'm going to do, you know, one episode And then one episode became two episodes. And by the time I got to spring, I was like, holy crap, I just did eight episodes of a podcast. I'm doing this thing. And then four years later, not only am I doing this thing, but I was just sharing in a workshop the other night that I'm so fortunate that like Brianne and I have figured out how to do a podcast and do research and integrate. So I I feel like for me, this resonated because I totally get it. Like it, it for me that I'm not an artist, but like, I feel like this podcast is like my and our brand, like creative outlet. And so I, um, I think the thing that like the bittersweet piece for me that hurts my heart is that, um, my grandmother would love hearing this and I wish she was here to hear it because she had heard me on 
<laughs> she had heard me on a podcast and she told my mom, and I, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but she told my mom, she said, Kathy, I knew she was going to do something big. <laughs> it's just like we, I so used cute. to tell your father, her, her my grandfather, there's just something about her. She's going to do, do a lot of things. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I just think it would have been fun to, to interview her, like have her come on the podcast. But, um, anyway, but that's the bittersweet, right? Like the tears to the laughter, like that's for me, that's, that's, that's the sweet spot of this, this book. And so, um, yeah, so I'm grateful. I, I see it now. Um, I don't know. I just see it now as like, I am carrying a little bit of, of her with me. Right. And that's, and that's all I can do now is, is have her with me in that way. So anyway, sorry to go on so much. I just, no, it's beautiful. Just, Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. And I think it's so neat because you really had been talking about it for a while before that, you know, mm -hmm. before she passed away. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, just this spark of like, I'm doing this and this is what it's called. And this is what it is. It, like it just, it was an idea that was, I think, riddled with doubt and like, it was an interest, but it was like shrouded in all this other stuff. Mm. And then there was a clarity and like a, an openness to the call or to whatever it was that, that pushed. And then it just happened. And so yeah. it's kind of a beautiful reminder of like, maybe just listen a little more closely to that. You yeah. Know, to the, yeah, it is like it the is, inside. It is crazy. Isn't it? How these things happen. And I have to say like the memories that I've shared of my grandmother, like my kid, my friends growing up basically had like an extra grandmother, right? It mm -hmm. was, she was that kind of person. So I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, this podcast is like, like us inviting all these conversations is exactly how my grandmother sh showed up in the world. And so, yeah, yeah. it's, it's cool. It's beautiful. Really cool. And it's exactly what, you know, uh, Susan Cain counsels you to do is in times of struggle. And, and Carrie, you wrote about this in your book too, Dancing with Discomfort. Like if you show up for all of it with an open heart, the good stuff and the laughter, but also the really, really difficult things in life and just sit with it. It's so, um, I don't know, we're taught or it's so it's modeled for us to just stuff it or just like, and pick yourself up and let's keep on moving. Yeah. But in so doing, you're robbing yourself of the opportunities that come from the hurts and the heartache and the, and the struggles. Um, and I think that it is so beautiful because when you do let all of that wash over you and you stay there, which is not easy, easy work, nope. stay and you stay and you, you see everyone moving on and you're the, the, but if you're not ready, you stay and you really let all of the hurts find their way into every nook and cranny, you know, when it's done, it's never over, but you know, when it's time to stand. And I think that the people who can listen most closely to that are the ones who often then do go on, um, to do something beautiful with that hurt. Like there's uh, post-traumatic growth you know, and all of those, um, you know, um, the, the, the beauty from, you know, the rising from the ashes, the, the beauty from born of the, the hurt. It's funny. I was talking to my father-in-law and I was saying, we were talking about how hard it is when you, when you're in a medical issue or a, a time of hard 
things and you have these like poignant moments of like uh, of clarity of these I see okay my path forward this is amazing but like you can't then then you dive in and you start the doing again and the things but it's like we were saying like it's so frustrating because you can't hold that that clarity forever like you can't like we were saying how frustrating it is like you just wish you could always be that aware of the life's fragility and mm -hmm. the past but like you can't and, and we're not meant to always but I think that it's like in those um, quiet moments, but the big ones too, where if you can just allow it all in, yeah. um, it, it would hurt. Good. I mean, it would hurt too much to yeah. hold the fragility of life yeah. that long, right? I mean, yeah. I feel like I don't know. I'm not a trauma specialist, but I, I have a sense that like you're still, you're like living a trauma of some sort if you're able to hold it for, mm -hmm. for too long. I I love how you articulated that. Um, Kate, this idea of clarity, because I think you're right. Like we have, and Brianne, you were alluding to it. Like we have these moments in the hard moments of clarity. I can share just super briefly. Uh, Susan and I lost our um, first child. Um, just er he was born too early and, and didn't survive, but for three days. And I remember like it was yesterday sitting in the waiting room with Susan after getting the news and turning to her. And I have no idea why turning to her and saying, we are not going to let this break us apart. And I don't know why I said it. I don't know how it, no one, there was no reason for me to think either way, right? Like I'm in this moment of grief and I just, and we committed in that moment, in that hospital, in that space that this was going to be hard as shit and it wasn't going to break us apart. And it was hard. Like we had to do all the things, but it's like, like that moment of clarity, I wouldn't have, I didn't know how to articulate what that was, Kate. So I appreciate you bringing that language. Um, oh, that's amazing. I'm, and I'm so glad that you shared that because I literally dogged that exact story <laughs> and page because yeah. I thought that that was so beautiful. But I think that the cool thing is, is that the, quote that you started that chapter with, um, with by Martha Beck, it says, what happens when we're willing to feel bad is that sure enough, we often feel bad, but without the stress of futile avoidance, emotional discomfort when accepted rises, crests and falls in a series of waves. Each wave washes parts of us away and deposits treasures we never imagined. Mm -hmm. And it's true. It's, it's, it is true. There's, and you can't sometimes see the treasures until the wave has gone out, you yep. know, back to sea you know, the tide has gone away and you see what's left. Um, but you can't, when it's washing over you, you're just underwater and, and holding on and holding on to those you hold most closely. Yeah. And then, but, but always the wave will recede, you know, but it's, it's having like trust and faith in that. Cause sometimes when you're underwater, you're like, and this is the end. We are <laughs> now, like, this is going to, we're going to blow. This is not, but yeah. it is true. Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's, I've been thinking about my book um, and I know Brianne and I have been talking about sort of it, one thing about writing a book and I'm sure you see this, um, Kate, in the writing. Well, any of us who do writing, we reflect on, right? And we think, oh, if I wrote that now, it might show up differently. And I've been thinking a lot about this idea of dancing with discomfort and I've been toying with what would, what's, what is the dance of discomfort? And so I've been thinking about dancing in discomfort because you're experiencing it. Dancing yeah. with discomfort is sort of a companion. You're starting to build a relationship with it. 
dancing through, right? You're making progress. But what I added to it, because I just read this great article, is dancing towards discomfort. Mm. Well, because in, in there's, some, there's some there's some there's some great research, and I don't want to geek out on research, but there's great know. research, and this, I mean, to the conversation we're having, that what would happen if we, as a system, thought about discomfort as a metric for growth? Mm. Like, why? Do, like, let's stop talking about test scores and this and that, and let's. So the, the research, and I'm not going to go into it, but the research, essentially, they do an experiment where they change the set of instructions they give somebody to focus on building this skill, to focusing on feeling discomfort during this, this practice. And what they found is that the people that they instructed to search for discomfort and feel the discomfort in their practice and learning a new skill is they were willing to stay in the skill longer. Mm, love that. And so, right. So like if we just change what we think discomfort is and, and if we recognize that there's creativity, all the things that we're talking about here. Right. So anyway, so I've been thinking about like a dance of discomfort sort of like framework and like all the things in it, but beautiful. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of reminds me of, Oh God, I'm going to get this wrong, but like, do you remember from learning theory it was like mixed practice and varied practice and things mm -hmm. like that. And I was just sharing this with my students the other day before an exam that had some anatomy on it. And I said, I know the comfortable thing to do. And the thing that makes you feel really good is to go through the flashcards that, you know, in particular sets, and that's fine. And that's a good way to start. However, I'm going to model something. So then we studied kind of out loud. And I was like, and this reminds me of that, which reminds me of this, which reminds me of that. And we kind of moved all through various anatomical mm -hmm. systems and their eyes were wide and they didn't know what to write. <laughs> because it wasn't linear and they were kind of like, oh God, this is so not helpful. And I said, I can see it and I can feel the discomfort in this room. Let me tell you why we're doing this. Because we know that when you stretch, that's where the growth is. And, you know, it kind of just reminds me of, of what you're sharing here, but yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. your students might not, might not have appreciated it in that moment because they are reacting to discomfort in the very way that we all normally not I don't like to use the word normally that typically we do right the sort of familiar but there's going to be a time in that student's life where they're gonna be like oh Dr. Ruse was so right like I'm so great I I am 100% that's like a gift I think that you gave to yeah, we'll to, see <laughs> I, I think yeah, so I mean seriously to because you're you're exactly right like the the easy thing and the comfortable thing is to study the way we do so that we think we understand this. Right. And I think that's actually the challenge is that as soon as you present it in a different way and they don't understand it, well, did you really learn it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like in your bones. Right. Um, yeah. so it's, impactful. it's like, I feel like, yes, they could go through and in, you know, outline form, be taking their notes, you know, this falls under this, you know, umbrella in this category, but when you make it that web, it kind of like, you know, that's related ancillarily and how did that even get there? But it's like when you knock somebody back on their heels a bit, like that is a moment where you take pause. And I love that nobody wrote because things were simmering and integrating and all the things, but that they'll like, just like Carrie said, like, they'll remember that so much more than like just getting through. Okay. Three a is that, you know, like that yep. they will remember that moment. Um, and hopefully maybe to then apply it to other, you know, facets of their life. But yeah. I mean, I think what I, I was trying, I was like, okay, so what are the implications for what Brianne did with her students on what we're talking about? And what came up for me is that like, 
to me, it's just doubling down on bittersweet takes practice and bittersweet in like in life, fortunately for everybody, it shows up in all different kinds of ways. So you can't learn it one way and think that you've tackled this thing. And so I think, you know, the way that you're approaching your students in the class is also great preparation for thinking about how to, you know, effectively sort of be in bittersweet because it's you've you've just got to wrestle with it and, and you do get, you get better at the wrestling. It's not that you get, you cry less or you laugh more. It's just, you get better at doing the thing that you need to do when bittersweet comes upon you. Right. Yeah. And I think you find people who are helpful to support you through those things. And it's different people for different concerns because the anatomy study buddy is different than the person who's going to help you through something that's hurting your heart. Um, But I'll just share as we, come to the wrap up, I was doing a reflection activity with a different group of students the other day, and they were doing like highlights and lowlights and that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, what questions come up after you, you put all this out there. And one student said, isn't it incredible how all of this is at the same time? And how do you do it? Like, how do you hold these highlights, which are so great. And these lowlights, which are so scary. And I'm like, well, that (laughs) is the biggest question. (laughs) Um, yep. and you know, we kind of brainstormed how to mm-hmm. do that. And yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So. I mean, that is, that is bittersweet. And I think you're right, Bryn, this is a great way to sort of, sort of wind down. And what I'm hearing is like, for all the work and the wrestling we do ourselves, this work isn't really possible unless you're in relation and communion with others and the different people come into our lives and help us wrestle with this stuff in different ways. And um, so I think the next time it would be great to talk about that with integrating the bitter and the sweet. Cause I mean, I think at the end of the day, what I'm hearing us talk about is true integration can't happen without others, right? You can't, you can't go it all alone. So. Mm. Yeah. And so much of what she writes about is about that duality of, you know, holding the bitter with the sweet, but even too, you know, Brene's definition of belonging, it's like owning, you know, circling back to what you guys are all about but you cannot belong to others without belonging to yourself. Mm. And it's so, it, it seems so simple. You know, it's just, it's, it's like being present, showing up, doing the hard things, holding the bitter with the sweet, owning yourself so that you can connect to others. I feel like it, it all like flows, you know, like if yeah. we can you know kind <laughs> of build that construct, I feel like all of the belonging stuff you guys are working to, improve and and measure and advance, I think, um, can be helped by like trying to flex this bittersweet muscle, you know? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I think, yes, I think to the extent you can identify conditions that are important to letting belonging show up, I think it all helps with the bittersweet piece too, right? That that's some of the work. So yeah. Oh my goodness. I am incredibly grateful for both of you, Brianna and Kate, this has been, we really didn't know what we were going to be talking about. So other than a few like topics. So I just, I so enjoyed this conversation and I have a ton of meetings the, the rest of the day. And I'm, <laughs> my colleagues are going to be like, why are you so bouncy and <laughs> crazy today, Carrie? I'm going to be so full of energy and it's going to be as a result of this conversation and us being together. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. It was great. Yeah, guys, this was awesome. Yeah. We got to uh, one. I know. (laughs) One A. (laughs) 
<laughs> I honestly, I had that no expectation. series of I, <laughs> I had no expectation that we were going to get further than page one. Yeah. I just. <laughs> She well, knows that I like we'll to have leave a these prep. flags for next time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, dear audience, you can at least expect at least one more part of this. Whether we do a part three, who knows? We will see what happens. So, thanks to everybody for listening to another episode of Tell Me This. It has been a pleasure, and be well, everybody. So down I can see you're so sincere. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me This. I am Carrie Borkowski here with Brianne Ruse and Kate McMahon back for part two, volume two, whatever you want to call it, of our discussion of bittersweet. Um, we are super excited to get into this. For folks who are new, just a reminder that this is a podcast about all things belonging, community, connection, collaboration, and holding space for what is possible. Over the life of the pod, we've explored research and scholarship on or related to belonging, shared stories, listened and engaged with diverse individuals about belonging during the pandemic, as parents, as leaders, and just as human beings who show up for all the things. And in this season, if you remember, we are journeying into belonging in our relationships of all shapes and sizes, friends, spouses, coworkers, neighbors, all that you can imagine. And again, uh, Kate, welcome back to, gosh, I feel like you're becoming um, a regular guest on our Ooh. podcast, which is very exciting. <laughs> uh, thanks. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Nice to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. So for folks who are just picking up the pod and you're like, oh, wait, this is part two. Yes, this is part two. And if you, um, I would highly recommend, or we would recommend that you go back and listen to part one. Um, this is a discussion sort of a reflection on bittersweet. So it might be helpful to go back and listen to part one today. Um, who knows where the conversation is going to take us? That is, that is part of the fun of being part of this podcast. We, we have a Google doc, we did some prep, but we haven't talked about this part. And so we don't know what's going to come up just as you don't know. We do have a little plan. And, and our first thought is that just uh, riffing off of our conversation last week, we will sort of voyage into implications of of bittersweet and sort of our thoughts around what does it mean for us to show up in the world um with this sort of bittersweet whether we and Brianne and I were talking before we recorded Kate we were acknowledging that bittersweet shows up whether you have articulated it thought about it reflected on it processed it so we need to remember that like we're all grappling with bittersweet um even if we don't <laughs> pinpoint it in that moment so okay. Yeah. So who wants to, who wants to start us off? Anybody have a, a burning desire to share? I mean, Brianne, you had, you had pointed out some great stories and quotes. I don't know if you want to kick it off with uh, any of those to get us started. Yeah. <clears throat> sure. I mean, one of the things as I was looking through the book this morning, one of the stories that she talks about about around page 184 is the example of the donkey. So she and her family, she, Susan Kane, by the way, is the author. I don't know if we noted her again, but Susan Kane. Uh, and her family, her husband and children had gone on a vacation and there were some donkeys around wherever they had gone. And the kids were young and were, had gotten attached to the donkeys and enjoyed them and were sad about leaving them at the end of the week. Mm. And she and her husband were like trying to figure out how to <laughs> like foster this separation with the donkeys that was inevitable and hard. And eventually 
she came around to the fact that like they were most consoled when they were told that goodbyes are a part of life mm-hmm. and that everyone feels mm-hmm. that sadness and that they would feel it again. So kind of just normalized what they were feeling, which is like, yeah, this is really sad. It was really hard. It was so much fun with them. Maybe we'll see them again. Maybe other people will take care of them while we're gone. And this is part of it. So just kind of acknowledging where they were and, and feeling it. And then she says, um, this is a quote. She said, when children, especially those growing up in relative comfort, grieve a loss, they're crying in part because we've unwill- unwittingly taught them a delusion that things are supposed to be whole, that real life is when things are going well, that disappointment, illness, and flies at the picnic are detours from the main road. Mm-hmm. And so what she and her husband did in that time was they normalized it and, you know, mm-hmm. talked about it, the sadness, mean, you know, um, and can that some, just really stuck with me. Can somebody do one of those? What is that thing? What do you called? need? Like a like needlepoint? A, a needlepoint. Can somebody needlepoint that? <laughs> uh, not it. Kate, how's your needlepointing? Yeah. Uh, also not skilled in that way, but <laughs> I just feel like I need that needlepoint on my wall. Like this idea that like the disappointment, illness and flies at the picnic are detours from the main road. I mean, I have to say that if if I had had more conversations around that when I was a kid and I'm thinking I'm going to, you know, I try to have more conversations with our own kids. That's, that's a, to me, that's a huge shift in how you embrace life. I don't know. Kate, what do you think? No, I think that that's so true. And I think in this culture, you know, you see movies and TV and what, you know, love is supposed to look like and what, you know, success is supposed to look like. And it, it is so hearing you say that brand reminded me of the effortless perfection piece of it um, mm-hmm. from Princeton. That was on page 132, but they just were talking about as students, what you're supposed to look like, you know, you're supposed to look like you didn't study at all, but you're supposed to get the best grades. You know, you're supposed to have this easy grace that, you know, you're, you know, you, you drink and you're super fun, but like, you're not like the most strong person there. You're not like the one that doesn't like you, like, it's like this fine balance that young people are going through, but not acknowledging that that doesn't have to be like that. You're not alone in your sad thoughts. You're not alone in your joy. You're not alone. And normalizing that like she did with the donkeys for her kids and just saying like, and the sooner you can have these conversations in preparation for these Princeton students, um, you know, starting in our own homes with our own selves, you know, just kind of gifting kids with the opportunity for awareness of those hurts. Mm-hmm. I think the easy fix is to try to put a bandaid on and say like, it's okay. We're good. We just, let's just keep going. You know, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be, it's going to be happy ending. No problem. You know, but instead of really doing the hard thing, which is like yeah. sitting with the hard feels and, and acknowledging them and, and seeing, I mean, that's what we all want, right. Is to see and be seen. And yeah. I think starting from a young you know, the sooner you can do that with your own kids or with kids in general, I think is a, is a good thing. That effortless perfection part, I felt so connected to that. Mm-hmm. Um, like in my own life and experience in what I see with my students and Carrie, it reminded me of the episode that we did on friendship mm. when we talked about the work of friendship and friendship on the outside looks like it's so easy. And cause when you're with your best people, two of whom are on the screen right now, which is like amazing, um, <laughs> You know, from the outside looking in, it just looks like it's so effortless, but really it's, there's work in a good way, right? Because we have to intentionally connect and all those sorts of things. And so to me, part of parenting is like naming the work and recognizing and praising the work 
And that effortless perfection is like, that's a myth. I mean, that's just not, that's not a thing. And if it looks that way, you have to remember what you said earlier, Carrie, is that everybody's got bitter and sweet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's never as it appears. Yeah. As much as I will say, and I'm admitting it on the podcast, as much as I, and as a gay woman, I think this is hilarious. As much as I love rom-coms and and Susan (laughs) rolls her eyes when I like, I do, I just love them Yeah, and they do us such a disservice. I know because everything is wrapped up in a bow. And I remember even like Disney, the Disney movies, because like Colby, our oldest, he's he's a feeler like me, which I just love in him. And one of the Disney movies, something, you know, hard happened. There was a breakup or something. And I said, just hold on, buddy. Just hold on to the end because it's not going to be like that's that's like I mean, it's fun because it's entertaining. But like it just reminds me that like this is our focus, right? And there's a researcher. Who's the researcher? Is she at Harvard that does the toxic positivity stuff? Oh, Um, yeah. I can't remember the person's name. I tried to look it up while you guys were talking, but it's the same thing. It's like, it's just, it's as toxic as being like really unhappy or mean or whatever other emotion you associate with toxic, right? So there is a, there is a benefit. I wonder the question that I'm hearing like in my head, the story I'm telling myself and the curiosity of like parents might ask is, well, what's the line with kids, right? Because like on the one hand, you know, when we were dealing with, well, we still are in some ways, the pandemic and the racial reckoning around the murders of George Floyd and others, like what's the line between it's supposed to be whole and real life. Like what, I don't know. What do you both think about? Like, how do we navigate that as caregivers and parents with our, we don't want to scare the hell out of them. Right. And we also want to teach them lessons. So what do you, I don't know. What do you both think about that? And it's a great question because the truth is, is that we're all running to soccer practice and we're all running. (laughs) You know what I mean? We're trying to get dinner on the table and then like the feelings and the things and You know, I think that, and this is something I'm definitely like trying to work on having four kids and being tugged in all the different directions, but trying to hold space Mm. within reason and when um, possible and and, and holding space, but creating space, like Mm. creating opportunities for those conversations to be had. Because so often it's Monday, Friday, Monday, Friday. Okay. Do you have your shin guards? You know, like it's, and so, yeah, I think it's a great question about how do we you know, engage in these kind of sticky things. I think that, you know, I think the first step is kind of cultivating a landscape in the home where it's okay to come to you with those kinds of things to Mm -hmm. be like the type of receiver that can, they feel safe knowing that they can, you know, engage with you. I think that is like foundational groundwork that like has to happen. And then beyond that, once they are comfortable, I think it's, I think it changes as they age, obviously, you know, like you have to kind of like you a little bit have to tie it up in a bow when they're small, you know, knowing that that is a really hard thing. And I felt that way too. And, you know, let's see what happens tomorrow and stuff. But it's, I think as you get older, the questions get bigger and stickier and it's, it's really, I mean, it's really a hard thing. So I wish I had an answer, Brianne, you're a little further down the road one year, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I know this is something that is like foreign territory for me. I feel like I loved babies, infants, toddlers, preschoolers, you know, school age kids. And I'm like totally fish out of water with this new, bigger, uh, broader scope. So I don't know if you have deeper thoughts on that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think I have any wisdom. I just have, 
friends and books <laughs> and, <laughs> and experiences. Prayers. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And prayers, yeah. lots of prayers. I think there's a lot that I'm learning about transparency and the fact that I've actually never done this before. You know, I've never like parented a sophomore in high school before. And so yeah. there's something to that too. Like she'll ask me a question and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and then we yeah. just kind of have a laugh and a moment and yeah. then we just strategize. And I've led her you know, down the wrong path sometimes with like a social issue or a social question. And I'm not talking like social justice. I'm talking about yeah. in her sphere of yeah. friends. Yeah. And I think there was value in that because, you know, she sent a text that wasn't great. It was sent at night and that's never a good thing. And I saw it and I was like, sure, send it. And then that kind of blew up. And then the next day I was like that we shouldn't have done that like that. When you're mad, you don't don't send it in the moment, just like sleep on, you know, so we kind of had some moments of learning in that together. And I I just think that's part of it is just being in the muck and knowing, yeah. like you said, Kate, that hopefully they feel comfortable and safe asking the questions about, yeah. about all the things. But so I, I think there's their inner sphere of social life at school. And then there's also the bigger question where I go to Susan Cain's parenthetical reference from the quote before, where when children, especially those growing up in relative comfort, grieve a loss, et cetera, I just was kind of struck by that when she wrote it or when I read it again, because my kids and I have absolutely grown up in this relative, probably not even relative, just comfort. And then I think about Black Lives Matter and the racial reckoning and people who grew up extremely differently from me, for whom, you know, saying goodbye to the donkey is like the every day. Yeah. You know, there's, there's so much hard stuff every day and it absolutely is a part of life because there's no way that it isn't because it's so present, um, which just kind of takes me to a bigger place of questions as a parent and as a person. Yeah. Yeah. I think I love, go ahead. No, No, I was just going to say, I just, I love what I'm hearing from both of you is, and you said the word brand transparency right? There's a, there's an honesty and an authenticity and it's okay for us as parents and caregivers and individuals who are with young people a lot, right? Just to say, I don't know. And that's, to me, that's a moment of showing that it's not always whole, right? That there's, um, that there's questions and wonderings and curiosities. Um, and I do think modeling, you know, I mean, we know from learning theory, right? That modeling is hugely important to, to young people. And I would even say like, I, um, I recently lost my, um, my aunt, my mom's sister, um, to, to cancer and Colby. So Colby's, um, 10 and he was asking, you know, like you were saying, Kate, you know, starting to ask questions. And Susan and I decided that because of the way they were doing really a memorial service, not a viewing and sort of the traditional that it was, he, we were going to let him go. And I have to say, like, yes, it's hard because I had my own grief and, you know, I had to also sort of scaffold and guide Colby. But I will say that it was such an important experience for him, right, to hear like how she was and my Aunt Robin was living like this amazing life, even though it was coming to an end. And so I think it was really good for him to hear that you can have hard and happiness all in the same space that like her daughters could, when they were speaking about her, laugh and cry all in the same sentence. And so, you know, I think, yeah, I think just being a little honest and giving them glimpses every now and again, I hope, you know, have, have impact, you know, down the road. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think 
that the transparency piece, it's there's so much of like all of these concepts are so nuanced. And mm -hmm. I feel like the transparency piece, it you need confidence to say, I don't have the answer. But with saying that, it shows humility that you mm -hmm. don't have answers. So again, it's this both <clears throat> and concept. And I feel like the yeah. more these conversations are so good and so important. Cause I feel like the more we can tease and this all out and giving like you guys your anthem is like giving language to all of these like finer points I feel like it's because that is really hard for a 10 year old to go and to say goodbye and to see you know to be in the muck you know but it yeah. is such a gift for you know for him to have been there and just as you said so it's like yeah and I, I think that the the saying you don't know that's something that I you know I was like, I love a boundary. I love to fit the mold. You'd say jump here. I love to hit that. It, it That's a scary thing for me mm -hmm. to say. I know my husband, even in med school, he, people would, you know, they'd be asking questions and he'd be like, I have no idea. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so brave. <laughs> like, that's so, like, there's all these really smart people in the room and uh, you're like, I have no idea. But it's like, that's the best thing you can do because if you wander down confidently down a wrong path, like this is your chance. Like, oh, let me learn. Let me, and oftentimes I think when you're brave enough to sit in that space, it's a gift for you too, because then you can learn something maybe from your child, or maybe that opens up another door for, you know, a different conversation or a deeper conversation that is, I think, so yeah. important. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure too, right? Like if you, if you don't, if you aren't able to own and be proud of the, I don't know, like your husband did in med school, that is so much pressure because as you said, Kate, like the I don't know is also encapsulated with humility. Well, the the pretending you do know mm. is encapsulated with so much like now you've got to have this facade. Now you have this yep. stress. And what if they find out that I don't mm -hmm. know? And mm -hmm. I just think like, I mean, I would love my mom listens to the podcast. So I'm I hope she's smiling right now. But I'm curious like about her like her sort of posture in those moments as I was a kid, because I mean, we, she and I have talked about this and she has said to me, you know, I wish, you know, I had, you know, not made more mistakes, but like showed you that I was, you know, made, making mistakes. And so I wonder like that must, there must've been a degree of stress and worry that she was putting up. Cause I, I mean, my mom was always put together when I was a kid. That's what I remember. And I'm sure I, hopefully she's laughing as she's listening. She was, she was put together. She was. And I know there were moments where she probably wasn't feeling put together. And I just wonder like what impact that might've had, had she felt like she had the, you know, a little crack to say, I'm not feeling this outfit today. And I put it on anyway. Right. I just, I don't know. I'll have to ask her the next time I see her. Cause I'm, I'm curious now that we're having this conversation. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's, I think there's power in the, I don't know. And then I think what comes next is important. And yeah. sometimes what comes next, that's where I think our sort of relative, well, no, our age and then relative wisdom or whatever experience, that's where we can impart that with the kids yeah. mm -hmm. um, and say like, I think we just need to sleep on it or, you know, when she was kind of dealing with some social stuff, like, what do we want to value in this? Like, I think we want to be inclusive like, of, mm -hmm. of, of all the things. Mm -hmm. So like yeah. what conversation can you have to just make sure that you're literally moving to another lunch table and inviting the other girls to go with you? Yeah. I mean, that's like in the weeds, in the trenches, but also, and I'm not using the words, what are our core values? But I'm, yeah. I hope saying, you know, using the words of like, what is the most important thing here? Mm-hmm. 
that you're inclusive and that you can start to branch out and make new friends and not burn the old ones, <laughs> you know, and like yeah. navigate it. And it's so hard. Like, it's so easy to just sit here with a mic and, and talk about it. But the actual doing of that mm-hmm. is really hard. So I think if we can say, I don't know, and then move on to like, hold on to those values that we have and find a way to enact them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, and I think the conversations are important, but it's also what they see. Like you were saying, Carrie, about seeing your mom and model falling apart. Cause sometimes it's like, you know, I've like with the pandemic, there've been moments and like weird situations, but like, I've like cried and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm like, these kids are going to think I am a nut. Like I am. But then looking back, I'm like, but that is human. And that was real in that moment. And that, you know, for as, you know, like sometimes when you look back, you're like, Oh my God, what, what am I doing? What, what kind of model am I being? I think that there's, you know, space and allowance for some of those crumbly bits, because like you said, you know, having, you know, your model being kind of very together and on the ball and, you know, having all, and I think about that about myself sometimes too. I was not a kid who, you know, was like sneaking out of the house. I was not the kid who's like, you know, and I I have friends and peers who are like, oh, I got, I got my kid's number. I know. (laughs) I I can see that I can, but I'm like, I don't know that. Like, I don't know, you know? So it's like, so I think sometimes like, I know my daughter has said like, oh, like, you know, kind of with an eye roll, like, you know, it's a distancer to have everything all together. So I think it, when you do allow for those, like, you know, kind of frayed edges, you know, and kind of, you know, imperfections, I think that, you know, it is uh, a gift in the crumbly bits. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think what's, what I'm hearing also what's feels inherent to what we're talking about is we as parents shouldn't be expected to, and can't expect ourselves to be able to do all of this on our own. Right. Mm -hmm. So inherent in that, I don't know, is the gift of this is a collaborative process of, of raising human beings. And I think, you know, Brianne, you, you brought, and I would love for you to share the, the work, Richard Rohr's work, right. Because I think what um, Susan Cain also talks about is this multi-generational and how this bittersweet shifts and looks a little differently. And so I think that modeling shouldn't just come from us, right? It comes from the wonderful older people, whether they're family members or not, who are in our lives because they're they're looking at bittersweet and using that framework in a different nuanced way that is also important for our kids to see, right? So I just... Brianne, can you yeah. unpack that a little bit? I can. Yeah. So, I mean, I love how all these things always connect and I end up with like stacks of books and post-its <laughs> all around me in these conversations, but I was at an intergenerational communication workshop earlier in the week. So I, I sort of had that as my frame walking into today. And it was so eye-opening because it was talking about the historical events that shaped each generation and kind of the, the aligned values and perspectives and how people within a generation communicate. That was kind of the purpose of it. Um, but it really helped me to, to gain that perspective. And then there's, so there's the inter intergenerational, like me talking with somebody of another generation. And then there's all the intra generational and as within our generation, we age. So there's like two phenomenon going on here. And Kate sent me this book, um, it's Richard Rohr's falling upward and she sent me the large print edition. <laughs> I bought it for myself as well. And when it arrived for me, I also had that moment where I was like, Whoa, what? Is Kate, I just have to say when she held it up, the first thing I thought I was like, my, that's a big book. <laughs> I know. I know. And she moved it across the screen. I was like, Oh God. 
But then the funny thing is, both of us read it. We We are aging. And both of us were like, it was actually kind of relaxing on the (laughs) eyes to read. It was like really pleasant. (laughs) I could definitely be, (laughs) I could be a large print convert. Um, (laughs) But as I was reading Susan Cain, um, kind of just getting back into it a little bit this morning, she was talking about Atul Gawande's work and his book, Becoming Mortal, um, Being Mortal, Being Mortal. which is so good. Yeah, I mean, so just good. so good. And talking about uh, really death and dying from what it looks like for families and people and cultures, et cetera, which then made me think about Richard Rohr's falling upward because he talks about like the spirituality of the first half of life and the second half of life. And he has a chapter, chapter 10, it's called a bright sadness, which just that is like bittersweet, right? Mm-hmm. The paradox. And it begins with this quote. He says, there's a gravitas in the second half of life, but it is now held up by a much deeper lightness or an okayness. Our mature years are characterized by a kind of bright sadness and a sober happiness, if that makes any sense. I'm just grabbing for words to describe many wonderful wonderful older people I have met. If you've met them, you know for yourself and will find your own words. There's still darkness in the second half of life. In fact, even more but there's now a changed capacity to hold it creatively and with less anxiety. Mm. Love that. Yeah. I do too. I just love that play on words, the bright sadness and mm. sober happiness that just yeah. really like resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I know she wrote something about that too, where, you know, when you see old, I don't, I can't remember if she was talking about it in reference to her father before he passed and reflecting mm. on his life, but just kind of, you know, the closer to the end you get, it's sort of an opportunity. Again, there's that duality and that nuance, right? You're, you're, you know, uh, my mother-in-law says on the conveyor belt of life, you know, she's getting closer to that end point. And that is a scary thing for sure. Um, You know, questioning your own mortality and how much longer you have left and what have you done, but it's also an invitation to, appreciate those small moments, like looking at how the sun comes through your window or, you know, listening to your favorite song or, you know, just engaging with old friends, you know, on the phone distantly or, you know, live and in person. And it's like, it's, there's a chance, there's a, your pace slows down. It's not quite so frenetic, you know, when you, I think when you enter, at least from what I understand, when you enter that phase, you're not growing and establishing and building your looking backwards a lot and that's the nostalgia and the poignancy but I think that that yeah throughout your whole life it's holding both you know and it's um it can be really hard I I would imagine at that phase too but yeah yeah, I mean I think I think Brianna it's related to that did you want to read that poignancy because I love that that page 187 quote that you have Um, if you have it you can read it I don't have it open yeah I'm trying I'm trying to find oh she's talking she's talking about this idea of the state of poignancy and she says that elder, the elderly visit visit it much more than the young and she said and says um poignancy she told me is the richest feeling hum- humans experience one that gives meaning to life and it happens when you feel happy and sad at the same time and um there's another place where she says oh yeah she says we're also appreciating even if it's not explicit that this time of life will end, that good times pass as well as bad times, sorry, bad ones, that we're all going to die in the end. I think that being comfortable with this is adaptive. That's emotional development. 
it's page 187. I wonder, as I was listening to both of you, um, I'm, I know you've both heard this, sometimes younger human beings are uh, described as being wise. And I wonder why- Younger like, or older? Younger. Like, like, like a wa- Yeah, like, a, like, oh, an, old, like oh, an old soul, right? Like yeah. an old soul kind yes, of yes. wise and old soul. I wonder, I'd have to think about it, but I what I was wondering about is, I wonder if- there's something about some young human beings that are keyed in earlier to what we're describing, like this bitter sweetness. And they have a, I don't know, that just came up for me. Like when we, when we, what do we mean when we say that, 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 that young person is an old soul? Like, is it? Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was. I, yeah. Well, I think it, sometimes it's like, there's uh, it's more pure because ego hasn't, hasn't quite gotten on board yet. You know, mm-hmm. there's not as much comparison to the outward and, and looks and achievements and all of those and like, you know, social circles and all of that. I think yeah. that it, it's, it's just, um, just a gentle, like inborn awareness, but that's interesting. Cause I do think like on the bell curve of life, it's almost like a reverse bell, you know, like, I feel yeah. like there's like purity, there's yeah. this purity and, and awareness and, and kind of, you know, you think about, you know, I remember like the kids running up to hug me, you know, and it's like that just, or a look across the kitchen table where they would just be totally, you know, mm-hmm. enveloping me in love, you know, and then it's like the teen years. That's where, that's where <laughs> I'm entering, which, you know, like less of that maybe. Yeah, and then, we're not there yet. Think, oh. When you get to the end, <laughs> I think that it's like, you've been around the block so many times and you've, you know, you've been up, you've been down, you've been hurt, you picked yourself back up and there's sort of like a, um, there's like a piece in that too, you know, yeah. like the, the days, you know, the days are growing shorter and your time, but it makes your time more precious, yeah. you know? And yeah. I think that people haven't, don't have that perspective, that long lens perspective, but they have this kind of like innate appreciation of exactly what is they're not mm, think, remember yeah. or, or yeah, worry like an or intuition forecasting. Or yeah. yeah I keep thinking about like authentic presence. So like little kids are just a hundred percent in whatever is right in front of them, heart, mind, all of it. And it's, we kind of circle back to that, I think. Yeah. At the other end. That's right. Yeah. It's funny. I love that this inner intergenerational or multi-generational conversations coming up. Cause I think we, we, in, at least in our circles here as parents talk about how wonderful it is so we go to a unitarian church and that's something we talk about like having these like multi-generational services and it's often the the reason is often well there's so much we can learn from each other the context the history the this the that and what i'm wondering too is in the sort of spirit of bittersweet i feel like it's just a really natural and important way to like give our kids glimpses of that bittersweet and really energetic and courageous and positive ways, right? That it's like uplifting. And I don't know, it's like having people at different stages in your life, in your life is, is a reminder, you know, a a good way to remind us that, that that's just, that that's just part of life, right? That there'll be, yeah, comings and goings. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's because it's, and it, I think it just gives, um, us like a sense of place, you know, when you think about like, I love listening to like my Nana or my grandparents, you know, and they came from same state, New York, Nana was in Queens, you know, my grandparents were in upstate New York, but my mom's parents, but it's, um, 
the the details are different, but it gives you a sense of of your roots and where you come from and what has made you who you are. And it's mm-hmm. how different things were. We didn't have phones, but you know, and and it's an appreciation and awareness of what all we have. And um, and it's interesting to think about you know, what we'll be gifting, hopefully, you know, God willing, whatever, one day our children, you know, in, in our wisdom. And, but it's fun to think that we're like amassing all of that now. We're like walking along and collecting experiences and people and, you know, hard things and beautiful things, but all of that's in service to us. And if we're lucky, we can give gift that forward to the next um, ones coming after. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. When we were in that, um, meeting talking Kate about learning from people in other generations earlier in the week mm-hmm. there was a timeline on the board and the question for our small groups were in, which were intentionally mixed across disciplines um, speech language pathology and psychology as well as faculty and graduate students mm-hmm. and the questions were you know which of these events shape mm-hmm. your your history and kind of which are the ones that you hold on to and so a few people remembered um, Vietnam that that came up. A lot of us talked about 9-11. The students were mostly not born. If they were, they were like toddlers for 9-11. So that is not a, I know, Carrie's shaking her head. It's like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> That's crazy. But do you want to guess what the most defining, I can't even say moment, but like thing that they discussed was in their generation? And I'm talking about students who were, early 20s mid 20s yeah what no I love phones <sighs> really it was all technology based i was like obama getting elected yeah, that, so that was on the timeline they had well the pandemic is real but we're kind of still in it so that we don't have that mm-hmm. like yeah it's 100 percent framing and and that's a that's a moment but it's a little hard to have perspective because we're not post yeah. far enough yet mm. um yeah i mean on the timeline on the board, Obama and Trump were up there and they're like, yeah, I mean, that's relevant, but, um, and not in a flippant way, but yeah, yeah, more, yeah. to them personally, what was more like felt like a big moment in time was their phones yeah. when they got their phones and the kinds of phones they got and wow. therefore the connections to people through the phones. Mm-hmm. So wow, I wanted really to like crazy. put my head in my hands and cry a little bit. Cause I'm thinking about like nine 11 and history and terrorism and people we lost and all of this. And were their they, frame is really different. Was it, were they sharing that in a positive way? They were like, and I got an iPhone six and I, or 10 or whatever, like, and I could connect with these people. Or was it like, wow, that really changed me in like maybe a difficult way. They talked about like when they got their phones, how sophisticated the phones were and what that permitted them to do. And kind of the, the connection between phone and socialization and um, connection beyond even their immediate circles. I mean, it was like a really eye-opening conversation for I think everybody at the table. Yeah. And it made me think about belonging and technology and belonging and generations. I mean, I sent Carrie an article. I'm like, I <laughs> I don't know where this, it, it's just, it's not a way that I was thinking before. So I really learned a lot from being in conversation with people. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the, I, th- I think their response is interesting. The, the curiosity for me is the taking in of that question, I think is different at different stages of your life, how you define an impactful event when you're 
10 versus 15 versus 25 versus 45 versus 80. Mm. Right. I think also sort of the way you process that is probably different. So, you know, they're sort of impactful feels like, you know, in some ways, maybe it's not that surprising because they were getting independence. They were getting right. It was sort of they're separating from their families at that moment. And so that feels like a coming of age sort of moment. Right. So, so anyway, I think it's interesting to unpack mm -hmm. all the, all the ways to interpret that response. Yeah. And I do, I mean, I, that is real. I mean, having a daughter, like I know Brit, we, I have shared this with Brian, but with my first, we were, we gave her a flip phone because we we're like, you, and she's like T9. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, welcome <laughs> to your cell phones or whatever. And, but so we, she got that as entering middle school, but she couldn't, you know, we thought we were kind of like being, you know, like cool, like vintage, you know, retro. <laughs> parents, but, you know, she reports that she feels like that set her up for social, um, failure there because she couldn't, you know, there were all these group chats born and there were all these numbers exchanged and pictures were shared, but she couldn't receive the pictures and she couldn't be in the group chats and not, I shouldn't say failure, but uh, set her up. She was felt disadvantaged, you know, had she had had iPhone, whatever would have been, um, you know, the cool one at the time, but I do, it is, I think you're right, Carrie. I think that, you know, the processing of that question is, um, is interesting. But, and, but she also says, she's like, you just, you know, my daughter who's 15, she's like, you don't understand, like you didn't grow up with this. And that's the transparency. And I'm like, you're right. Like I was in my late twenties when I hit Facebook, you know, I mean, I was like a late adopter for that, but it's, um, I didn't have all of that, that she's growing up with. And, and it, we are in some ways speaking different languages, you know, with mm -hmm. expectations and things. So it is hard to, but that's wild to think that that was the most, I, I read two articles recently, one about a family, um, families who were dealing with a student athlete who had committed suicide. Um, and then another who had had a health issue, but she went viral on TikTok or whatever, but she was saying that the coming viral, she said was really, it added so much stress into her life when she was sharing something that was hard and then all of the attention and positive and negative that she received. Yeah. She said it, it it influenced her life in a, in a worse way. So I was curious if, you know, from your meeting, if your people, you know, the teens and whoever were at the table were like, yeah, I got a phone and that put me on this other path, but it sounds like they were just really acknowledging that it was more of a connecting, not a. Hmm. Yeah. And that it was like, the mark on the timeline. Yeah. It was like relevant enough to put on the timeline with the other historic and world events that were, were up there. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I think this, your example, Kate, of your daughter with the flip phone, I love that you went vintage. I just like <laughs> rock, rock that. Looking back, phone. I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing though. Like I, I mean, so there's, um, Becky Kennedy, Dr. Becky Kennedy wrote a book, um, good inside. Right. I think we've talked about it and she talks all about lots of things, attachment theory and sort of boundaries with your kids. And, and one thing that she says that, that I was thinking of when you said that Kate is that it's, a, it's okay to say no to your kid like that. She's not advocating that you sort of just give, right. She's, and she said, and you just, you explain, you hold firm and you set that boundary. And so part of me thinks, and this is, I promise it's related to what we're talking about. Part of me thinks and hopes that one day as your daughter gets older, yeah, that won't. And these, and the students who said the phone was the like moment 
that won't be the moment at some point in their life. And she'll actually recognize what an important decision that was that you made to support her in the journey you felt like, right? Like, so I think there's like so much more to it that like, and that's why I think it's so freaking hard to raise (laughs) human beings. Like, right. Cause like it's, it's so much. Yes. And it's like, yes, we want you to be connected and we know the stress and worry that comes with being connected. And so we've got to negotiate this. Right. And the flip phone is what we feel like we can manage right now. (laughs) I just love that. I love, I love that. I mean, we battled Colby's 10. Yeah. And he has a few friends and he went now for him to tell it. It's like, everybody has this thing. And I'm like, well, who is everybody? And he's yeah. like, well, maybe it's two people. Yeah. So he finally broke down and I we gave him an Apple Watch. It's an old Apple Watch that I had. So it's like, you know, the second version, very old. But for him, it felt like, you know, it was like you were saying, it was a step towards, you know, feeling like he could connect. So it's, I mean, navigating with technology among all the other things we do is just, it's hard. Um, And I think, I guess I'm just saying, Kate, I love that you you know, you and your husband stood your ground on that. And sometimes we just have to listen to our kids not be happy with what we decide. <laughs> yeah, a lot. And, that, and that's just the way, that's just the way it rolls. So, yeah. I mean, you gave, you gave Bridget stories for a lifetime. Like that's yeah. for sure. She's going to, she's going to be telling <laughs> that one for a while. Got. We were like, this will be great. I love that. I, it's I love like, that. I know, but I'm like, but I, I'll never forget when she came in the car after the dance, I had driven all the girls. It was a minivan filled with bubbling, you know, prepubescent, like excitement and thrill. And when I picked her and her best friend up, it was a totally different, you know, vibe. And it was like, it was one of those parenting moments, like you said, with the, you know, text that maybe wasn't great, Brienne, you're like, Ooh, you know, like the thing (laughs) that, that, which I thought was going to be like cool and fun and like a baby step. It was like, maybe we didn't think this all the way through, but it's, it's so hard to know when and how, to what extent. And it's, but it's like you said, it's the both. And it's like, I see you. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I love you. This is hard. We want you to have freedom. We want to put some, you know, guardrails up. We've had a lot of conversations like that about guardrails and just, we're just trying to keep you from going off the side, side of the cliff. You know, it's like, you just, but, and we're all imperfect too. I think it's, um, 100%. Yeah. yeah, I think that that idea that we're all imperfect because we were trying, Brian and I were thinking about what we had talked about previously. And I think Kate, you had brought up the quote around the gathering shards of the broken vessel and how we each have, I think we were talking about light, right? That it's yeah. everybody has the light. And I think if we're thinking about like, what are the implications of this book and our conversations on how we show up? I think it's just that, right? What you said, which is we all are imperfect and we all have some part of this light or shard. And so I was thinking, I was likening it to like talent and a gift. And Mm -hmm. so just, and I think the other piece of it for me is just remembering that, as I said in the beginning, we all have this bittersweet framework that we're wrestling with and we're not always doing a good job (laughs) of wrestling with it. And so- I don't know, just showing up in the world, remembering that we have gifts and we have struggles and it's all a part of it. And just, 
I don't know. It just, it's a good reminder for me to like show up and be more compassionate with people and not get so annoyed so quickly when people don't manage the things in the ways that I think they should be managing. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, but it's, it's the knowing you're not alone. I mean, like mm. that's, that's the, the biggest gift of it is knowing that you know, on the other, you know, across the boardroom on the other end of the table is someone who's also grappling with maybe the same things or maybe different things, but much as it may look like things are effortless, effortless, effortlessly perfect on the outside, like there are those struggles too. And I feel like there's such peace for me in that, you know, knowing that, you know, you might not know what it is specifically, but just hold, you know, just that base knowledge is kind of a, an yeah. exhale. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I can, I mean, not to go into, um, personal experiences too much, but like I can mark moments in my young life where it was, it was like, I'm thinking of that question, Brianne, that you were given, you know, with the, the different generations and sort of events. And I, and I can think of like personal events that were like moments of breaking open, that life is not whole and the sense of in that moment, the sense of sadness and relief. Mm. Right. Cause like, it's, it's like the moment you realize as you get older, the mo moment you realize things are maybe not what you thought they were. It's both sad and sometimes a relief because now it's like, well, I'm just going to do all the things. Cause it's like, not right. It's not a rom-com. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think I could say that about my relationship with Susan that like we didn't meet till I was older. And I think looking back, like that was exactly how it was supposed to happen because like I wasn't ready for the kind of relationship we have, which is like we, we, and we, we don't say it as much as we used to, but when we first got together, we every day we used to say, um, I choose you today mm. because like, like you said, Brianne, with friendships, it's work. It's great work. It's hard work and it's work. And so I just think, you know, those sort of breaking open moments I can think of, it's just, yeah, it's work. It's not just a like glossing over or a facade of some toxic positivity. And once we can embrace that, it's, it's a mourning and a relief, right? So yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, um, one of my favorite Jesuits at Loyola, Father Tim Brown, I mean, okay, you probably know, remember yeah. him from a million yeah. years ago, totally. but he's still there. And he, I went to see him the other day, whenever you go to see him, his office is this mess of books and everything. And he, oh, you always leave with books. So he left me with some books and he's like, I, I got these for you. I'm like, you didn't, but thank you very much. Um, so anyway, this is a, it's called seven sacred pauses, living mindfully through the hours of the day. And it's all of these sort of mindfulness moments that they suggest mm -hmm. like at dawn and all the way through. And one of the things in talking about work, it says your work is for the benefit of the whole world. Mm. And when your spirit mingles or when your spirit mingles with spirit, capital S you're transformed into a temple of God. So, you know, we didn't need to go down that road necessarily, but I love the idea of your work is for the others, right? Like, so let that light just go right through you and mm -hmm. like be a vessel of, of, that and mm. when I sort of center myself in that this week was insane 
at work, but it wasn't bad. It was just busy. Like, and I, and so things didn't get done because other things had to get done, but this was sort of like at my center this week. And I felt like in the busy, I, I was so exhausted at the end of the day because I was so present in every single interaction, Mm. like where I couldn't remember the morning because it was like, every time I was with a student (laughs) or a colleague, I was like in it, you know? Mm. Um, and I love that work. Like that work is worthwhile work, you know? And even though a lot of the things we talked about were really hard, a hundred percent, it was bitter and, you know, it was the bittersweet, Mm. like in life, like in action. (laughs) Mm-hmm. happening so yeah yeah yeah. that's really beautiful I know it's like the be- what did she say the best way to heal yourself is to heal others you know mm-hmm. and it's like being that wounded healer concept yes. it's you know I think that it's so like you said Brian, getting out of your own way and just allowing that light to shine through from whatever source you're you know naming it or whatever but I think that acknowledging our, the hard things and allow, and like using it as fuel, you know, like the upside of loss, like just to whatever your hard thing is, but allowing that to be what impels you, you know, what what moves you forward in life. I think it's like, it's, it's reframing the, the hard from being like this tough thing that the fly, you know, that is distracting you from the, the road, you know, just trying to use that as, um, you know, what lays the the floor before you and what, what, you know, helps you walk the, the path because it's so, yeah, we all have it and we can all benefit from sharing it. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I love what you're both saying. And I know Brianna might roll her eyes at me for saying this, but like, it made me think of, we need to invite the discomfort. Because what I think at the end of the day, for me, what I'm learning as a parent of human beings is that most of the time when I shrug off my kids crying, because in the moment, like you had said, Kate, you're running from this thing and that most of the time when I shrug it off, I'm actually not shrugging off their thing. I'm running from my thing. And so if I can find a way in that moment to invite the discomfort I can be there for their thing. That's what I have figured out in my, in my life that this 99% of the time isn't even about what's going on with them. This is my human response to discomfort, which is to run away, to push it down, to hide from it. And I just like, I don't do it great yet, but I am working very hard to not do that for my kids. Cause I want my kids to be able to sit in it notice it, talk about it, process it. And so I, yeah, I think we have to invite our own discomfort as hard as it is. I think it can become, it's, it's, I guess in, at the end of the day, like it's there, mm-hmm. it's either going to help you <laughs> yeah, what you do with it, what is, you do yeah. with like, it's yeah. going to show up. It's yes. a part of the bittersweet. And so like you have choices to make, do you sort of wrestle it in a way that you can benefit from it? Or do you wrestle it in a way that like you're not benefit from it, from it. And now that light that you're trying to push out into the world is not being pushed out in the way that you want it to, to your kids. Cause they're just, they're seeing the like ignoring. Right. So, so when I say invite, like, I know some people are like, yeah, right. I, I just, it's there. 
It's already right. there. It's already at the party. So like you can put it in a corner and ignore yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> or you yeah. can invite it in. Right. I don't know. Totally. And she said that too. I love, she walked us through the, the five skills to acknowledge the acceptance of the bitter. Yeah. I love this. It was like, first acknowledge that a loss has occurred. Okay. Second, embrace the emotions that accompany it. Mm. Just welcome them all in. Uh, instead of trying to control it, you know, with food, alcohol, work, whatever, just feel yep. the hurt. Third, accept all of our feelings, thoughts, and memories, even the unexpected and seemingly inappropriate ones. <laughs> Fourth, expect that sometimes we'll feel overwhelmed. Mm. And fifth, just watch out for unhelpful thoughts. And like, it's what all page is that, Kate? What page That's is that? 95. Thank you. But I just love that. I was like, yes. yeah. It's everything we've said, but it's like, okay, there's like a little to-do list. Cause as you were saying that Carrie, I thought that is so true and so hard, you know, when you're like, Hey, uh, dinner's on the table. We got to go. We got four places. We're trying, you know, like, and then, and trying to be like, okay, like, let me address my hurts. But I think that the more intention and awareness we can bring to our own stuff, the better off our tiny humans will be for it, you know? And I think it's like, and that I thought that was so helpful just for me to just go like, okay, you know, cause she said, um, those, they, there was a study by university of Toronto in 2017, but she said that those who are pre-screened as being negative emotion acceptors, mm -hmm. those who took it in and just <clears throat> accepted that it was weird, it was real, suffered less stress and they had a greater sense of well-being than their peers, even mm -hmm. when they experienced stresses. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like, that is so it's, and that part is, I feel like the acceptance is such a baby step that I feel like that seems like, yep. that's an, that's a reachable one yep. going out into the world. I can accept that there are stresses. I can, I can let those feelings come in. And that, but then it's like the rest of the to-do list of like what to do with it and how to manage it. That seems for me harder, but if you could start there, I think that's a win. Yeah. I mean, that's the wounded healer, right? Cause like yeah. in, in that process that you're describing, Every time you do something similar to that, you're giving yourself instant feedback and starting to heal yourself, right? Because that, like, because like that, what I've noticed, and I think I've shared, like Sarah is the crier in the family, and I was a crier as a kid. So every time she cries, I not every time, but a lot of times, I'm like, oh, I just need her to, I just need to calm her down, because it's like my stuff, right? And I've noticed that, like, <laughs> that sounds terrible, because she's my daughter. I love her to death. It's just the crying, and I just like. I grab her and I'm like, and I can feel in myself, like it's a little easier. It's a little like, it's because I'm also healing. It's not because I can't tolerate my kid crying. It's because I need to have some healing that I need to do. Right. And so, and I'm sure people listening, I hope people listening to this podcast are probably like, Oh, she's a bad mom. Cause she can't no. deal with her kid crying. I don't but think like, so. it's, no way. it's, it's my stuff. Like, and I'm trying to acknowledge that it's my stuff and you're right. We just, we have to take those those simple but hard <clears throat> steps to like heal ourselves and show up better for our for whomever, whether it's your kid or your neighbor, or your, you know, brother, whatever the person. So, yeah. Oh, I just love these conversations. Same. I so know. <laughs> so nice to spend time with you guys. It's so great. Brian, I thanks know it's, it's, a, Carrie. it's awesome. It, oh it's my gosh. Such a, it's such a gift for oh. sure. So who has a, who has a final like takeaway for the, to wrap us up any, I mean, there's so, there's so much good in this book. Um, I know I, what is the page 243? What does she say? Uh, 
Whatever pain you can't get rid of, whatever joy you can't contain, make it your creative offering. And mm. I just loved that. You know, she kind of went on to say, you know, maybe you're a psychologist who wants to make room in your field for what the mythologist calls a sacred psychology, um, the deepest yearning in every human soul to return to its spiritual source. Maybe you're a theologian grappling with, you know, our culture's diminishing interest in religion. Maybe you're in mourning and it's dawning on you that you can move forward, if not today, then one day. Or maybe you've reached midlife for your twilight years and you're realizing that the lengthening shadows needn't be depressing, but rather a chance to stop and notice the everyday glories you've been too distracted to see. And for all of us, no matter our domain, there's this simple exhortation to turn in the direction of beauty. And I love that. Mm, that's so good. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Did you see I, her I, hand? I, did you see Kate's hand go up when she said midlife? It was like she was looking at me when she said that. <laughs> No, I did not see that. This <laughs> discussion. I'm like, all of us humans, <laughs> in no way. Kate sent me a book about the second half of life. So, Listen, I'm apparently, we're all, all on the back nine. Let's just be honest. <laughs> we're all on the conveyor belt. Oh my God. That's awesome. So that is a, that is a. We That's were, it great. was kind of your uh, intergenerational experience. That was right. <laughs> thank yeah, you. Good connection. That was such a that's a beautiful quote. And I think yeah. Yeah, it is. Like it just says all the things that are in that book. So ah, well, I hope um our listeners have enjoyed this set of podcasts, these two podcasts, as much as I have. I feel um, I don't know, I just feel very lit up and energized for the day. So I will be um, walking around on my my tiptoes for the rest of the day. So thank you both for a great um, and beautiful conversation, Brianne and Kate. It was wonderful to see both of you. And Kate, you're welcome back anytime you want to come on the pod. Um, maybe we should, not right now, but we will maybe pick another book because that was fun. So maybe we should think about another book that we could uh, dig into and and do another couple of episodes because i think it's it's fun. Be awesome yeah okay. for sure all right everybody thank you so much for listening this has been another episode of tell me this uh take care and be well Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.